I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm delighted to be joined once again by the brilliant Mr. Michael Stavrou. Mike, how you doing, mate? Um, we went a week without doing a pod together. What's going I on? I know, man. It was weird. It was really, it's really weird. Sounds like you were having a good time out in the sun. I was uh, here in, in boring England, mate, but... Um... Yeah, I had to like had a week to sort of like reflect on stuff because I think if I would have done a podcast last week, I would have been really angry. So I'm sort of glad that I've had a week to process it all. And um, I'm also glad that we two have been dubbed the boring twosome by some guy on Twitter <laughs> who's apparently not listening. So major loss for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I always find it amazing that, that people, you know, will go to the length of like finding you on Twitter and... And making a comment like that and um it, it tends to be these accounts with one follower or something it's probably their mom yeah. um you know a, a dodgy display picture and a, and a fake name it's incredible but yeah you get used to it after a while mike mate, it's, oh, um, mate. you have to you have to laugh at it you have to laugh yeah. at it Exactly. It's part of the territory. It really, really is. Um, big hello to everybody in the live chat with us at the moment. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all good. Um, sorry for the confusion around the time when I set up the live stream. I accidentally put 11.55 p.m. instead of a.m., which is an absolute shambles. Um, I was wondering, like, normally there's more people waiting than this. What is going on here? Uh, but that was uh, that was my mistake. I did correct it about five minutes before we went live, which was obviously very, very late. But anyway, um, let's say a few hellos in the live chat. Um, some of you guys that are joining us at the moment to Gunner93, to Alex, uh, who said, Harry, please tell us it's not at midnight. <laughs> there you go. Um, Clock and Seb says that Harry Cronky, jet setting and misinformation all in one week. <laughs> uh, Naz Osman said, Harry said yesterday he will let us know what he had for dinner. That's the only reason I'm here. I had a delightful uh, prawn garlic tomato sauce um, mixed in with pasta. It was beautiful. That's what Ooh. I had for dinner last night. Tremendous. With a bit of, uh, with a bit of cheese on top as well. Fantastic. Uh, big hello to Henry. He says, good afternoon, H-Top content. As always, looking forward to the show. Mike Topman as well. North London forever. Come on, you gunners. Uh, Aussie Brown joins us from Portmore in Jamaica. Uh, big shout out to everybody joining us from overseas at the moment. CG also joins us from Georgia. And we've got the Fort Lauderdale. I can't say this. I can never say this word. Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Craig who joins us uh, from South Florida. I was actually on a Barcelona trip with somebody who lives in Fort Lauderdale. Um, he's not an Arsenal fan, though, but yeah, interesting. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, let's take a couple. Um, John Daly says, looked for you on Sunday, Harry. Couldn't see you. Loved it in the North Bank. We'll be looking at getting a season ticket around there, standing the whole night. In. Even the wife loved it. Don't take your wife to football, man. Like for me, it's my time away, each to their own. But, um, I, I want to steer well clear of that. I want to steer well clear of that. Uh, big hello to Graham as well, who joins us uh, from Kefalonia. I hope you're well, oh. Graham. Tuning in regular uh, Chronicles of Aguna Ultra. Hope you're enjoying it. The weather here is absolutely pants. I'm sure it's much better where you are. Um, but look, that's enough rambling from me. Uh, what are we doing on today's show? Well, we're going to be reviewing Arsenal's 2021 22 campaign by 
numbers. There's been a lot of questions floating around over the last few days. Have Arsenal actually progressed? Have Arsenal actually moved forward under Mikel Arteta this season? Is there enough to be optimistic going into the summer and going into the new uh, new season? Or are we having the wall pulled over our eyes a little bit? Um, Mike, let me come to you for your initial reaction or, or, or your reaction that's now been processed over a few days mm. to the way the season ended because the Newcastle game was incredibly disappointing. And, and we all knew, I think, at that point that the top four thing had gone. Um, Everton, yeah. good performance, solid performance, nice, uh, you know, five-star victory in terms of putting five past them and, and everybody was happy and and pleased. But there was that feeling of disappointment that was just lingering over us, wasn't it? What is your sort of final take on, on how the season ended and where we ended up? Yeah, I think for me, it's mixed emotions. And um, even before the Newcastle game, I, I kind of knew that it was, it was getting away from us, even though it, it was still in our hands at that point, just because... Yeah, it was it was too big of a game, too big of an atmosphere, and the defeat to Spurs was was too too huge and too enormous to come back from. I remember talking on on our North London Derby preview show, and I said to you, anything but uh, you know a disastrous victory, a disastrous defeat. Sorry, will do. Even even if we lost narrowly, but really battled them. Uh, if if we drew, you know, anything other than an embarrassing loss would have been fine. And what do we go and do? We go and get battered, um, not helped by refereeing decisions and, you know, players losing their heads. But still, that was what happened. And for me, after that, it was this like almighty sense of loss. And it was like, for me, it's, it's over because we could have beaten our rivals, secured top four. And that would have been it. Last two games of the season don't mean anything. And that was where we lost it for me. Um, so the Newcastle game, I always knew that was going to be a tough game because they're, you know, on the beach. Um, they've got brand new owners. They've survived relegation, you know, without even breaking a sweat effectively, which which they weren't expecting to do. Um, and they were in party mode and they really just did take advantage of a team who were totally lost and scared and, and weren't up for the challenge, essentially. Um, so, yeah, but pretty much before the Newcastle game, I know it was over, uh, but obviously it was bitterly disappointing to lose that game and then yeah like it's just it, it is what it is I think we've gone through the stages this season we've gone from you know disaster at the beginning when we lost the first three games of the season to then seeing us bounce back a bit and then the January window which of course was was pivotal uh not signing a player there I think really screwed up our chance of of the top four and then I think the reason why people are so disappointed, Harry, is because we were in the driving seat for top four a few times, not just once, but, you know, on, on more than more than one or two occasions. And the fact that it was in our hands and we blew it twice, obviously that's going to leave a bit of taste in the mouth uh, for a lot of fans. And I think that's where a lot of the anger and a lot of the frustration comes from. And I can understand that because, look, I'm upset myself. But for me, I, I prefer to look at, um, as you say, the progress that we made um, and and take the positives out of it, basically. Because I think when you do look at the squad and, and the age of the squad and the age of the manager, compared to the team that, that we were competing against, um, Tottenham, who've got a world-class manager and two world-class players, I think ultimately that was the difference. So, of course, you can be upset about it, but you have to try and find, you know, things to look forward to for the next season and in the summer. Indeed. Look, there's no doubt about it. We, we progressed in the Premier League in terms of our league position. 
moving from eighth up to fifth and and obviously taking the, the top four race at least to the final day of the season, even if it was very unlikely that we were going to leap Fox Spurs at that point. But I wanted to compare the two seasons because I think there are some stats and some facts that when you look at them would would signal that we've progressed and, and quite a bit. But there are other th- metrics that you look at and you think, well, hold on a minute. We didn't actually improve all that much in this particular department. I think the table doesn't lie. I think the fact that we finished much further up um, than we did, you know, in the previous two seasons gives us an indication that Arsenal are moving in the right direction. So I'm not going to say that the metrics that I'm going to bring up on the screen now are um, are particularly damaging or, or anything that we should be sort of up in arms about, but they do give us an indication as to which areas we need to work harder on and which areas we felt a little bit short. So if you compare Arsenal's 2020-21 season to the 21-22 season, aside from the obvious fact that we finished three places higher in the league, Arsenal picked up eight more points this season. And Mikel Arteta made the point, um, Mike, during his post-match press conference after the Everton game, that 67 points last season got Chelsea into the Champions League. So to finish on 69 and miss out feels a little bit harsh it feels like we've been a little bit hard done by. But I guess, you know, you've just got to get above the teams that you're competing with. In terms of wins, we managed four more than we did last season. 22 wins this time around in comparison to 18 during the 2020-21 season. We didn't draw many games this season, though. Just three in comparison to seven last season. In terms of defeats, it was the same 13, which is way too much uh, by my reckoning. And you'd have liked to have seen that sort of uh, defeats number slightly decreasing and and maybe us pick up a few more draws because the odd point here or there could have been uh, very, very different. Considering all the the talk about strikers, you know, when you compare what we managed this season in comparison to the season prior, we scored six more goals without Aubameyang um, for for half of the season as well. So does that, and I'm just going to pause on this point for a minute, does that kind of dispel the myth that, the striker thing was the big issue or do you still think it was? Do you think that the actual problem is that we don't get enough goals from everywhere else? Mm. What do you think is is the reason for, uh, I guess, the lack of goals? Because 61 is is pretty modest, even though it's better than last season. I think the the number one thing in terms of goals was was relying and overusing um, our, our younger players. And, you know, Bukaya Saka played every single game in the Premier League this season. And uh, I think he ended up our top scorer. And, you know, a club of our size should not be relying on a player like that. We should not be wanting to burn him out at the age of 20. And that's the sort of scary thing. But just the, the you know, fact of where we are at the moment, that we've chose to go down the route of, of, um, of academy products and young players. And when you come to the end of the season, they were knackered. They were tired. Um, and and they couldn't produce as they as they had been altogether. You might get the odd performance where Saka, you know, pulls out a worldie, but I would say in the last like in the last like two three months of the season, Saka just was a shadow of, of the player that he can be because he just played too much football. So ultimately, when you've got a, a number nine going back to the season of Bamiyang who who went off the boil, um, and then he's back up. Lacazette is a striker that doesn't really score anymore. Um, and then the backup after that is Eddie Nketiah, who, who had also not played football for ages and ages. He still did well when he came in, but it's not what you what you need and not what you want from your centre forward. Um, and then also the fact that we were quite reliant on Emil Smith-Rowe for goals as well. And he he wasn't in the team anymore. 
So I think there's a, there's a few factors to, to say why. Um, but what I found really interesting, Harry, is that Arteta was basically talking, I think, after the last game against Everton. And he was like, basically, just like, look at the squad that we've got. And it was very much like, I don't know, he used some weird analogy about a lemon. Did you hear that? He was like, we, we tried squeezed to, everything we out tried of the to lemon. Squeeze the lemon, try to squeeze as much juice as we can out of the lemon. And he's just basically saying, you know, I've I've done everything. That the squad have done everything with the with the team that we have. What much more can you do? And that's the reason why, you know, I, I do think the reason for a lack of goals was just relying on young players that can't be consistent enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And when you go to goals conceded, we actually fared quite a bit worse this season than we did last time around. But defensively, I still felt like we were okay this season. It's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because sometimes what the eye test tells you and what the stats tell you can be contradictory of one another. Um, yes, last season, you know, we conceded less goals. We conceded, well, nine less goals last season but we scored less goals and we never really looked, um, you know, secure or comfortable in the way we played. And then this season, yeah. you get Gabriel and Ben White together. You get that partnership going. It looks good. It looks great. You, you feel like you're making progress. And then you look back on the stats and you see that we've conceded more goals. And that meant that our goal difference this season ended up on 13, which was worse than the previous campaign, uh, during which we ended up on 16. Mm. So, I mean, from these metrics, what, what kind of grabs you? What is the bit that that you look at and you go, oh, I didn't realise that? Because for me, it was the, the goals conceded thing because it's quite a significant difference. And I would have told you that with, and I know they weren't available all season, but with Tommy Asu, with White, with Gabriel and with Tierney at the back, we look a much better unit. Yeah, I mean, it's the goals conceded. That, like That's what really stands out. Um, but also the draws, Harry, um, because... Well, I was watching the Newcastle game and when we went down, there was a stat that popped up on Sky that was like, um, in away games, we didn't even score once after going behind in away games, let alone draw, let alone win. And it's just like, oh, like, yeah, I know it's a young team, but that is a shocking statistic to be able to, you know, not even claw back uh, like uh, any semblance of a comeback. To, to even try and get back into a game. And, that, you know, that, that's a huge mentality thing, I think. that That is having a young squad, but that's also, I wouldn't say a defeatist attitude, but just like the players sort of panicking when they go behind because they, they don't really know how to bounce back. And for me, that's, that is what has got to improve. Um, because teams, you know, when they, can't, when they can't win a game, they at least try and get a draw. But it just seems like when we're in losing positions, we couldn't fight back. Like, look how many draws Liverpool got and they still you know, almost won the league. I, I think they didn't beat a team in, in the top four. They actually drew and like all of their games against the top four, which shows that, you know, even if you can't get the better of them, you at least try and salvage something. And that's the number one thing we need to improve on, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, John makes a really interesting point though as well, which I, I didn't think of off the top of my head. If we lost the first three with a minus nine goal difference, then that didn't help the situation in terms of that overall stat one bit, right? So yeah. if you if you want to do this, and you know maybe you shouldn't, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to this, but if you wanted to take away the nine goals that we conceded at the start of the season when the squad was in pieces and we didn't have players available and everything was a mess, then you do get to something similar to the total of the season prior. So 
I guess, you know, th- this is the thing. Stats can be misleading and sometimes you can stat pad in certain areas. Like, for example, I think, and we'll come on to talk about him in a little bit, that Eddie Nketiah has actually stat padded a little bit this season. There was a hat-trick in the Carabao Cup, uh, a couple of goals in a couple of games where we were very comfortable. and But it wasn't, they, they weren't big, decisive goals all that often, you know? And, and I think that that can, mm. that can be quite it's a bit harsh. It's a bit harsh, Harry. No, I, and I'm not meaning it to dig him out because, again, like you said with Bukayo Saka, who I absolutely adore, we shouldn't be relying on these young players. Like, yeah. this is the gamble and the risk that you take when you opt to go down this road of let's build, let's go with youth, let's go with enthusiasm, let's go with potential. You are risking that. You are risking the fact that you may not be able to get that level of consistency from them week in, week out, in yeah. the way that... Manchester City can get consistency out of their players in the way that Liverpool can get out of theirs. So it's just par for the course. But I think with Eddie Nketiah, like there were people talking like prior to his uh, his goal at the weekend, there were people sort of looking at his numbers and saying, you know, well, he got, he's got six goals or something in, in however many starts. Yeah. And yeah, but three of them came in the Carabao Cup against the week. Uh, was it Sunderland we played? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're thinking to yourself, well... He did score twice against, twice against Chelsea, to be fair. That was... That was a huge moment for us because that's when we, I think we beat Chelsea. Was that off the back of the three defeats? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was huge. Um, hmm. And yeah, it, it, the, the thing about Eddie is that I think it was impressive that he just came out of the blue and just played so well. And none of us had, had seen him play like that. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I just think he did stat pad a bit in the in the cup, but I think in the Premier League he did well to to come out. You know, basically of being frozen out to then score some quite decent goals. Yeah, I, I thought in this last spell that he had in the team, so, you know, between when he came into the side ahead of Lacazette and until the end of the season, actually did quite well. Like, I'm not yeah. wishing to take that away from him, but I do think, just like John pointed out with the goals conceded numbers, sometimes you have to put these things into context, right? And it's not always just uh, just black and white. Uh, Harambe says, let's just take away all the goals we conceded and then we didn't concede any. So that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Sam says, if you end up on the same amount of defeats, you're going to concede around the same goals, more or less. Um, crap, Mo Stank. Is that, is that one of those names to try and catch me out? Have I just like put my foot in it? I don't know. No, I just think that's a weird name. So. Yeah. It says, uh, I feel like there is a missing puzzle piece every time I see Arsenal play ever since Arteta became the coach. I think we can all agree that we're, we're not there yet and there's still a lot of work to be done. But I did want to bring to you guys' attention uh, some more random stats that I plucked out uh, when going through the Premier League's website this morning. Um, I'm going to go through each of these, Mike, and I'll get your thoughts. So only mm-hmm. Manchester City and Liverpool won more league games than Arsenal this season. So we were third in the table in terms of the total amount of wins. Um, does that mean that we just need to improve in sort of making sure that we can turn some of those defeats into points, making sure that we can be that little bit more resilient in some of those situations. But is this a stat that surprised you when you saw it? 100%, yeah, definitely. Because I wouldn't say we were the third best team in the, in the league by any stretch of the imagination. So when you do win, you know, uh, you're the only team to to win more games other than Liverpool. So that is surprising. Um, but yeah, it goes back to what we were saying with the draws as well. And the losses, like 13 losses is is not good enough for Arsenal, really. And you look at some of those and you just think, 
you know, like the Southampton and Brighton and Palace games, and you think one win in those games and we would have got top four. So mm. it's just about, you know, marginal gains, really, and and turning some of those, like, dire performances. And yet also, like, uh, it, it's it's an important thing to to bring up the first three games of the season because the first game particularly, because I thought we were hard done by the fact that we had both Aubameyang and Lacazette out for the first game of the season. We had to play Balogun. And was that his Premier League debut, I think, Harry, or first mm. Premier League start or, or something like that? To, to chuck him in and expect him to do a job against Brentford, who have just been promoted, I don't think any of us were expecting that to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. But you would have thought Arsenal would have, you know, at least turned up, which which we didn't. Um, and then it just sort of spiralled from there, didn't it? We, we had a, you know, basically a lot of our signings were out of the team at the time. Um, we didn't really have the team that we played with going forward for the season. So you have to look at it and say, yeah, okay, you can't go back and change things, but you have to look at it through with context, don't you? Yeah, you have to look at everything with context because as well, I always say this, right? We're very quick as as football fans in general to go, when a team fails to go, it's the manager. It's all on the manager. But, mm. you know, you said yourself, there's such fine margins. And, you know, for example, you know, you you score an opportunity that comes your way. You you don't make a defensive mistake out there on the field, and and all of a sudden, the result and an outcome of a game can be so different because football is like that, right? So then, I think it you need to put all of these things into context before assessing whether that the manager is the one who's most responsible. Now, they're always responsible to a degree because they're the manager of the football club, and that's what they're paid to do. But sometimes things beyond the manager's control can have a massive, massive impact. And I think Mikel Arteta has had to deal with a lot of that. All managers do. Um, but given that we we were in the race, given that we did get to the final day with a chance, and given that at the start of the season, nobody, even our own supporters, gave us much hope, says yeah. to me that you know it's very difficult to now kind of flip it back on him and be super critical of him and say that yeah. he didn't do his job properly. Don't you find it amazing that it's the people who said that we'd finish mid-table who are now the same people that are completely outraged at the fact that we finished fifth? 100%, mate, 100%. And, you know, I, I think I've been getting a lot of stick as well. And not only from people online, but some of my mates saying, like, why are you so positive? And all of this all of this kind of stuff, like saying I'm being positive to be fake or whatever it is they're trying to say. And it's just like, I'm, I'm just realistic about where we are as a club and... If we weren't heading in the right direction, I wouldn't be positive, like because I think we've we've undertaken a project that will take a lot of time. Like as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day, and I think Arsenal won't be, you know, getting into into the top four this season. I think, you know, people are saying that, oh well, it's easy to say Arsenal's target wasn't to finish in the top four, but that's just what I thought. Like regardless of whether that was the club's. Um, ambition or not, and whether they blew the chance at the end, I think there was always, you know, going to be an opportunity where they might sneak in, but that wasn't in our control. The reason that we had that opportunity was because other teams were so bad. Like Man United were terrible. Spurs, um, you know, took a while to get going. They sacked Nuno, so that was another thing you couldn't foresee coming last summer. So I think that's the reason why we said that we don't think we're going to finish top four. So to then turn around and say, oh well, like you're almost like you're almost backtracking and you know you're just trying to defend the club that doesn't really make sense you have to you have to stick by what you say you can't just change your mind like the wind um yeah, i think i think it was a bit yeah. of both mike i think that 
we were in the race because we'd improved some, but also because, as you mentioned, those teams have struggled as well. And and I always say this: you cannot obsess over what everybody else is doing. If you put, if you when you put a plan in place, it should be regardless of what yeah. everybody else is doing, right? You know, people talk this season at the start of the campaign. I remember people saying to me at work. Leicester are going to finish above you. Villa are going yeah. to finish above you. Man United are going to finish above you. And we finished above all of those sides. You know, and, and yes, next season, you get the the vibe and the, the impression that there are going to be significant improvements at a number of the clubs that we're going to be competing with. But you didn't foresee any of them falling off this season. So why can't it happen again next season? Why can't yeah. somebody leave the door open? It's, it's not so black and white like that. Um, it really, really isn't. Archangel says the way we faded so badly at the end has to be down to the manager. In what way? Uh, I'm interested. I'm yeah, not not, not criticizing you. I, I'm I'm just interested to know in what way. And if you say that it's because we didn't sign players, that isn't just on the manager. Like it's very important to note that, right? If if Arsenal had a plan in place for this summer, and being knee jerk in January was going to affect that plan, then you can understand why moves were not made. And you can understand why they didn't feel, given what Mike said, which is clear now and was clear when they announced Mikel Arteta's contract extension the day after we secured fifth. You know, it was clear that the objective was to get back into Europe. So they've achieved that and they didn't do anything in January. So that was them not diverting from the plan. Now, you can have your point of view on whether that was right or wrong, whether we should have done more to try and capitalise on the opportunity that came our way to get in the Champions League. And I completely respect both points of view on this. But in what way is it down to the manager? I don't think it was tactics. I've, I've seen someone in the comments put tactics. You know, Bukayo Saka was a shadow of the player that he had been in the last couple of months of the season. And he was carrying us at times. So again, that goes back to the whole, this is the risk that you take when you go down that route. This is what happens when you rely on players that aren't quite at that level. And I'm not digging him out. I'm not having a go at him because it, this is, you know, he's still an outstanding footballer, but it's what you get. Emil Smith-Rowe in the second half of the season was nowhere near as impactful. You know, I was looking at it earlier on. I was looking at some of the stats, some of the facts. We got one goal out of Granit Xhaka in midfield this season, one goal out of Thomas Partey. And that was it, you know, from from the two midfield players. There's just not enough going on in this team for us to have mm. been able to sustain and maintain the level that we were at. If I go back to that page, um, we ranked 13th in the table for yellow cards this season. 13th. Now, that shocked me considering we're a side that everybody talks about as having disciplinary problems. Um, we ranked second in red cards, only behind Everton. But, I mean, I guess... You know, the, the type of foul plays a part in this and the situation, you know, will play a part in, in what the referee deems to be a suitable punishment. But these two don't really marry up for me, Mike. To be 13th in the table yeah. for yellow cards and then second in red cards, does that suggest that we've been harshly treated by officials this season? Well, think about some of them red cards, Harry. The one way at the beginning of the season against Man City, Xhaka. I mean, I didn't think that was a red card. I thought the the referee got carried away because Xhaka carries a responsibility. That's when he dived into that. He sort of dived into that tackle, but he got the ball and it was deemed dangerous play, if I remember. It was a long time ago, but I think that's the one. Yeah, Yeah, against City. I didn't think that was. And then Gabriel Martinelli's one was an absolute joke. We've never seen that ever before in the Premier League. 
Um, and people will say to me, oh, you're just a bunch of whingers, you Arsenal fans moaning about it. It was a clear red. Well, no, I don't think it was. It was basically in the same phase of play and he showed two yellows at once. So you you look at the context of some of it and I, I do think we have been harshly treated on, on occasion. And that's not to say that's the reason we didn't get top four. That's not to say, you know, our players can't be rash at times because there have been red cards that we have deserved, like like Gabriel um, against against Man City. I thought that was a red. Rob Holding, that was probably a red. Well, definitely was a red, the two, the two yellow cards. Um, Thomas Partey in, in the Carabao Cup, that was silly from him getting sent off against Liverpool. So that, I'm, I'm not going to say every single decision has gone against us, but you're right, it doesn't marry up. If you're getting 13th yellow cards, that means you're not really getting... You're, you're not even in the top yeah, 10. Not even in the top the 10. League. Not even in the top 10. There's... There's there's more teams getting more yellow cards than you, than than less effectively, um, and then second in red. Yeah, we have lost our head at times, but I do go back to some of them incidents. I can't remember every single one, but I've got a good idea about about most of them. I think it was about about six maybe um, overall um, or four. I'm, I can't remember exactly, but at least a few of them were harsh. I think. Yeah, definitely. And I'm just having a look because obviously Everton led the way. Um, on on red cards and i just want to see where they rank in terms of yellow cards see they come in fourth on yellow cards so that's a bit more like it right that, yeah that is a little bit more of a an understandable correlation i don't really understand how we can be 13th in yellow cards and then yeah. uh, sit in second in reds but anyway um let's move on from that one um 13 clean sheets ranked fifth in the league only behind liverpool city chelsea and spurs so basically all the sides that ended up finishing above us. Yeah. So that indicates that that's about right, would you say? Well, that's that's what's weird, isn't it? Because the goals conceded went up, but the clean sheets went up, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so it does point to an improvement defensively. But as I say, I think it's one of them situations where when we were dominating games and we were solid more, t- more towards like the, the beginning of the season, we weren't conceding, like, and it was this mentality thing. It was like, all right, we're on a good run because we went on a good run, didn't we? A few times over the season, we're on a good run. We're solid defensively. We're nicking goals. We weren't really blowing teams away, but we were confident. And then it was only in the second half of the season where suddenly we just like we, we did lose our heads on multiple occasions, and and we were conceding more. But in those games where we were we were dominant, we we looked solid. So that's that's why you would have said there was an, an improvement defensively, um, and. 13 clean sheets out of 38 games is not bad, is it? And it's definitely something to build on. Um, and yeah, I, I think the the most positive thing for me is that we found uh, a solid back four if they can stay fit. Tommy Asu, Ben White, Gabriel, and Tierney. And if we can keep them together, um, you know, and I, I like to see the stats of the defensive record with them and without them, because I'm pretty sure we we were winning games like quite you know, quite a lot when we had those four. And then when it got broken up in, in January and, uh, you know, with players going off to AFCON as well, missing players in midfield, I think it, it dropped off a bit. And then losing Tierney as well, obviously, was huge. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there has been an improvement. And that stat points towards it, definitely. Have you come to the point with any of those defenders and even midfielders that you're looking at them now and going, I am fairly confident that I cannot rely on you moving forward? And are you at the point where you think about bringing in somebody else to to basically replace yeah. them because of this this big concern that we seem to have 
season after season after season, in particular with somebody like Kieran Tierney? Well, Tierney, uh, it's happened two seasons in a row, isn't it? And then the first season he came, um, he was injured from the start, so that wasn't a good start. But then last season, his absence coincided with our, our drop-in form again. We were doing so well, um, you know, up, up until like February um, in, in terms of like after, after Boxing Day we went on a really good run and then suddenly Tierney goes out and the whole thing's just misshapen because last year Harry like our system was so much more based on Tierney as well it was all it was all about the overlaps so we yeah. missed him even more um but this season the the replacement Nuno Tavares was nowhere near good enough like I was watching him against Everton and even though we were blowing them away the guy was still making like basic basic errors and I don't want to. I don't want to pile pile on someone, but I just think Nuno Tavares is not fit for purpose at the moment. Um, so not only do we need um, someone who can come in as a backup, but we need someone to challenge Tierney because if Tierney's going to miss half the season every season, it's not good enough, is it? No, we can't rely on him. So I thought that Nuno Tavares was brought in to play a lot less than he ended up playing. Um, and I and I've got some sympathy for the club and him in that sense, but equally. The Kieran Tierney issue is not a new one, and and no. that should have been foreseen for me. Um, you know, there should have been more done to to protect us against that eventuality because it seems to happen every single season. I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend earlier on today, and he he mentioned sort of Thomas Partey's injury problems and the injury mm-hmm. record that he has, and and how we've been without him, and how that costly that's proven, and which I totally agree with. But going into bringing Thomas Partey from the club, there was nothing to suggest that this would be a thing no. with Thomas Partey. Yet with Kieran Tierney, it was clear from way before he even joined Arsenal. Yeah. Um, I remember doing a pod just before we signed him. Um, it was very much when the pod was still in its infancy. And I said something along the lines of, um, when you look at his injury record and how many games he's missed, it's a problem. And, and I got absolutely hammered for it. Um probably gained a, a shit ton of subscribers with people wanting to just come and have a go at me. But I remember doing that and saying that and, and remember getting harshly criticised for it because people were sort of saying, well, Kieran Tini's played X amount of games for Celtic at this age. That's incredible. And I was saying, yeah, but that's out of a possible, whatever the number was. And and that doesn't mm-hmm. look quite as good when you look at it that way. Um, let me just cross over to the chat for a second uh, because Ahmad says, uh, can you imagine if that was Arsene Wenger losing top four because he didn't sign players in January? There would have been blood. Now it's fine. It's double standards. It's it's very different because Arsene Wenger had 22 years at the football club to build and to rebuild each time and was always given that opportunity to do so. The people that would have wanted blood from Arsene Wenger had we missed out on the top four with that group that was at our disposal this season and given the way the level of competition has gone up you know two sides are guaranteed to be in the top four that's Liverpool and City Chelsea are in that pocket in between them and everybody else I think and then you've got United Spurs Arsenal we're all competing for one position if you'd have wanted blood from Arsene Wenger for that then you'd have been overreactionary and you'd have been one of those people that took pleasure in hounding him out for even uh, things that that felt and seemed reasonable to everybody else so I, I don't want to do this comparison between Arsene Wenger and Mikel Arteta because it's not comparable. And um, and I think we've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop talking about Unai Emery as well, which seems to come up 
um, every time you know we we talk about what we perceive to perhaps be Mikel Arteta's shortcomings or or what is caused by his inexperience. Uh, moving on, Mike. Forty-two big chances missed. Now I didn't put this on the slide, but there were three sides ahead of us in this. Forty-two big chances missed, and we hit the woodwork eighteen times, second only to Manchester City. Now, what this tells me is that we don't really have as much of a problem as people would have you believe in terms of creating chances. Mm. We do have a problem converting them. And yeah, it goes back to not having good enough players up top. And that is something that certainly needs to be addressed this summer. But as a manager, if you put your team out on the field of play and you create an environment in which they're able to create that many chances and spurn that many chances, then I don't know how much more you can put that on him. It is a fine margin. And you think with an elite striker, if we could reduce that level of, of missed chances by a bit, we'd be in a pretty strong position. So again, is this about looking at the wider picture than just looking at, you know, the goals we scored or, or where we ended up? Yeah, and probably I think involved in that big chances miss, Harry, is... So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it and just say, you know, because a lot of that will be will be with Lacazette playing in the team, and we know that he was a creator more than he was, uh, you know, a finisher, and I think he 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 would have played a big part in those chance created. Um, so then you have to look at, so if 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 your number nine is helping create those chances, there's no one in the box to finish them. Whereas if we had a, a striker who was more reliable in front of goal, I think this, the system would be changed. And just judging by like some of the strikers that that we've been linked to, it like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Darwin Nunes, you know these are like target men essentially, and like big strikers. So obviously we're we're looking to get a different profile of player in, aren't we? Someone that's not just a hold-up man and a link-up man that can do that kind of stuff. We want someone who is a proper like archetypal number nine. And you might look at Jesus and say, oh, well, he's not really that. But the thing with Jesus is that he's a, a lot of other things as well. Like he can play on the wing um, and he's got a good goal record as well. Um, but I think you have to put a, a lot of that down to just not having that that clinical number nine. Because you, you look at like Odegaard and since he's come into the team, our chance creation has, has gone through the roof. And yes, he, he can have off days. But I think you put him in a team with, with you know, I don't know, Harry Kane or whoever it was, Robert Lewandowski. And I think, you know, our numbers go absolutely through the roof. Um, so I, I think it is a mix of, of tactics and, and personnel. But I just think it's what Mikel Arteta hasn't had at his disposal. And you make the comparison with, with Wenger. I mean, what more could Arsene Wenger have, have got out of these of this team? Not only is it is it not comparable, but it's also not fair um, because the, the, the two managers are, are not you know, they're not on the same level at on any wavelength. Like, Mikel Arteta is still a new manager. This is his only job um, that, that he's had as, as a manager. So I think it's unfair to to do that. But, um, but yeah, 100% system and 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 personnel. It's, it's got to be a mix of both, isn't it, at the end of the day? You can't, you can't just say, we, we didn't score our big chances because of this player or that player or because of the manager. It's always a roundabout, you know, it's something in between. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a combination of things. It, it really, really is. And, you know, some of those chances have fallen to wingers. Some of them have fallen to, yeah. 
you know, there's there's been a couple of times where centre backs have gone forward and, and missed sitters from set pieces, and yeah. you know, there's it's a combination of things, as you say. Um, and I think when, when people say, and, and I know this will probably be quite a common pushback that we get, people will say, well, Mikel Arteta has been at the club for two and a half years and he hasn't gone out and bought a striker. He hasn't gone out and bought an elite level striker. And I guess my answer to that would be that when he came in and when he looked at what was missing and what needed addressing first up in this group, you'd have looked at Lacazette in the same way that I did. And I'm sure you probably did. You'd have looked at Lacazette and you'd have looked at Aubameyang and gone, OK, look, maybe in the long run, they're not the types of strikers that I want, but they are at a level that will that means that I need to not prioritise that and I need to address other areas first. Mikel Arteta came in and built from the back first, right? That was clearly what he wanted to do. He brought in a load of defenders. He brought in another load of defenders after that. Um, made some additions in midfield. But it was clear to me that he thought that in the interim, if resource was limited, as it has been, um, that he could get away with continuing with those guys. And and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang won him the FA Cup. You know, so there was no reason at that point to think, I need to change this now. But obviously things change and things differ. And, you know, we went into this campaign thinking that between Aubameyang and Lacazette, we could fulfil that number nine position, that centre-forward position, it just so happened that what happened with Aubameyang happened. And, you know, I'm not going to go into it again, but I'm not going to have Arsenal fans telling me that Mikel Arteta was wrong to discipline the guy for what he did. And, and he'd done it seven, eight times from what I'm told as well. This wasn't a new thing. This wasn't a one-off. It wasn't Mikel Arteta's ego getting the best of him and him then feeling that he, um, you know, maybe made a mistake. This was a decision that he didn't take lightly and that took a culmination of events uh, for him to reach. So it is what it is. That's on Aubameyang. That's not on Arteta. That's on Aubameyang. And unfortunately for us, Lacazette, who really did link up the play brilliantly when he first came back into the side for a long period of time, went off the boil as well. And then not only was he not giving us goals, but he wasn't creating either. Mm. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to be consistent enough. And and this brings me on nicely to, to the next um set of data that I just want to share, which is around top goal scorers this season. Now, obviously, Bukayo Saka leads the way. Um, he managed 12 goals across all competitions this season for Arsenal. Um, Emile Smith-Rowe, 11. Eddie Nketiah, 10. Martin Odegaard, 7. Aubameyang, 7. Martinelli, 6. Lacazette, 6. Gabriel. Gabriel, the centre-back got one goal less than Alexander Lacazette, one goal less than Gabby Martinelli. Two more than Pepe. Two more than Pepe, who managed three. And then Thomas Partey, I said one earlier, I beg your pardon, it's two uh, that he got this season. So, I mean, not a single one of those players is is hitting 15s and 16s. If you compare that to Liverpool, who probably have three or four players who are in that bracket, if you compare that to City, you probably have three or four players in that bracket. You can quite easily see why Arsenal are not scoring goals enough because individually, we don't have that quality yet. Would you agree? Well, I think the the best comparison, Harry, is, con- is to compare it to Spurs, who we were directly competing against. And, you know, Son was sh- shared the golden boot with uh, with Salah and Kane was up there as well. And not only in terms of goals, but in, go- in terms of assists. And then the big difference was obviously them dipping into the market in, in January and signing signing Kulisevsky, who also contributed a lot. And, you know, I hesitate to say, but if we would have gone in and, and signed Kulisevsky or a player of that ilk, I think 
that would have pushed us over the line as well. So it is very fine margins um, and it's always going to be decided by by world-class players or or not world-class players. So that it, it is what it is at the end of the day. Like Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, players like that should not be relied on to be your top scorers. Um, and I, I'm trying to think what other team, not even in the Premier League, but in Europe is sort of going with that approach that we are. And, and still challenging to get into the top four of their league. Like it is pretty unheard of for a club of our size to be to be doing that. So when then people turn around and say, oh, you know, it's a disgrace. They've bottled it. Oh, look, I don't want to hear bottled anymore. Like this this team are, are too young and inexperienced to say that they bottled it because they never had it in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like what 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 exactly have they bottled? That their players in in you know the early stages of their careers, they're trying to prove themselves. They're not going to be consistent. So what exactly have they thrown away and what exactly have they bottled? Because they, they never really had that. So that, that that's that's what I don't understand, to be honest. If you go to the Premier League statistics, right, and bear in mind, this is just Premier League alone. This, does, this is not all competitions. This is Premier League alone. Look at those numbers from Liverpool. Mm. Salah, 23 in the Premier League alone. Sadio Mane, 16. That's four more than anybody in an Arsenal shirt managed in all competitions in the Premier League alone. Diogo Jota, 15. Again, three more than anybody managed in all competitions. He doesn't even Arsenal. play Jota every game either. Does exactly. Every game. So when you look at that, that tells you, that indicates to you that that is the level required to be challenging right at the top of this division. Just, just go on to Spurs for a minute, Harry, if you can. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see what they'll do. And if you have a look at Spurs, again, Premier League alone, two players, Harry Kane managed five more than Bukayo Saka did in all competitions. Now, I know they're playing slightly different positions, but to have that and then to have Son Heung-min get 23 in the Premier League alone shows you the difference. Even Dejan Kulusevski, who came in in January, has got five, right? Five puts him above, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty much, it's one less than Lacazette who was at Arsenal all season. It's one less yeah. than Martinelli. You know, it's, it's you know, if you want to compare him to Martin Odegaard in terms of the fact that they're not out and out forwards, he only got two less than him and he was only here for half the season. So again, you're seeing here what the level is that is required and we don't have enough of it. And look, we can have a quick look at Manchester City, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez. And, but the, the amazing thing with Manchester City is it's not just those three, if you look beyond that, Foden, nine, Jesus, eight, Gundogan, eight, Bernardo, eight, Rodri, mm. the defensive midfielder, seven. And this is in the Premier League alone. That is the level. That is the level. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at some of the other sides that, that, that even finished below us, right? Again, Premier League alone. Ollie Watkins only managed one less goal than Bukayo Saka, who people are talking about as being one of the best players this season. Rafinha of Leeds managed 11. Uh, you know, that we're just not at that level, Mike, in terms of those players that we have at our no. disposal. And that no. proves it for me, does it not? Yeah. It, it proves it. Yeah, 100%. And the main one for me is is obviously Lacazette because he's our main number nine. Um, and, you know, you could even compare him to... I, I know we're talking about players of completely different ilk here, but, you know, I would say he was playing a pretty similar role to what, to what Harry Kane was playing in the fact that he would drop deep and, and try and feed... Uh, Son and, and Kulusevski and that's what Lacazette was trying to do to us I know it wasn't the same style exactly like Lacazette wasn't dropping deep and like you know pinging balls over the top like Kane was but he was doing that role of like a, a more 
you know, withdrawn centre forward and just look at the comparison in in, in compares to goals. And uh, that, that's not comparing the players. That's comparing what we have at our disposal and what Spurs have at their disposal. And I'm, I'll, I keep going back to Spurs because that's the team that picked us by one point. And also, as well, you look at that, it's not only on the pitch, but in the dugout. They've got a manager, Antonio Conte, who's who's won, you know, so much in football, is such an experienced coach. Um, and this this is not to say that we're never going to reach that, because for me, when you look at Spurs and you look at their team, you look at their manager and, and their and their chairman, like I'm not that worried about Spurs next season. And the reason why is because Daniel Levy didn't back Maurizio Pochettino when they got to the semi-finals of the of the Champions League. If there was any point to to back a manager that's been in charge of a project that's basically started from nothing and and built its way up, that's the time when you see some some you know some progress. And that you know Champions League, they should never should have got there. Really, Spurs with the team that they had, but but they did because Pochettino is a great manager. But he didn't get back. So what makes you think that just because Spurs have got top four, that they're automatically going to back Antonio Conte? Like I've seen some pundits saying, you know, they're a few signings away from winning the league. No, they're not. They're nowhere near it. And if Conte doesn't get the players that, that he wants, he will go. And we, we know that because of, you know, his most recent job at Inter Milan. I think they, they sold Romelu Lukaku and they, they didn't really want to bring in anyone, you know, big names. And then, and, and then he left. So, if Conte doesn't get the signings that he wants, I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to leave straight away. But if the season doesn't really start that well next season, there, there might be a world where Conte says, "All right, well, I'm a world class manager, and this club is not matching my ambitions." Which is not even, you know, it's hypothetical, but it's within reason, isn't it? There's a good chance that that happens based on Antonio yeah. Conte's history and Daniel Levy's yeah. history, and and this is what why I'm actually quite willing and open and more open than I have been in years gone by to giving Arsenal some time here is that during the, the back end of Arsene Wenger's tenure, things started to rot. Okay. And not because Arsene Wenger didn't want the best for the club, not because he wasn't trying his hardest, just because he got left behind a little bit. Okay. In terms of the way the game changed, the way the game moved. And all of a sudden the things that made him stand out from everybody else were no longer as powerful because of the money and the influx of finance that had come into the league and the way that other clubs were able to also pump money into not just signing players, but into infrastructure that allowed them to identify them in the way that Arsene Wenger was doing 20 years ago. Okay, so the, the playing field levelled out a little bit and Wenger's qualities were no longer as, as sort of outstanding as, as they were. Or, you know, they didn't put him in as stronger position as they might have done in years gone by. But during that time, lots and lots of stuff went bad and wrong behind the scenes. And so for Mikel Arteta to come in and decide that he's going to rip it all out, start again with the backing of the club and build from the bottom up again, I'm actually okay with that because I don't believe that any success is sustainable unless you either have really strong foundations with a really strong coach who's very, very good at identifying players and who's very good at uh, sort of putting them out tactically and getting the maximum out of them in the way that Liverpool have. Or you've got a shit ton of money. Now, Jurgen Klopp's and Liverpool's success didn't come overnight. It took time to build the model that they have in place now that allows them to be sustainably successful. And that's why I'm OK with giving Arsenal some time to build those blocks and put those things in place. Because we don't have an owner, whether you like them or not, that is going to say every summer, here's 250 million, here you go. I'll sack this manager, but I can do that because I know that I'll be able to give the new one 
couple of hundred million to build his team for the next two, three seasons. And then we'll move on again and again and again and again. It's not the way Arsenal operate. So taking all those things into consideration, the way we're going about it now, building from the bottom up and building lasting foundations, I think is is the right way to go. Only time will tell though, Mike, if that's going to work out. Yeah, I mean, we hope, we hope. Um, but really, this is this, this is the this summer, Harry. I think is is bigger than any any summer that we've had because we've we've done the rebuild. Um, we did all the work last season to get the players out that we wanted to get out, and this is the summer where we add quality and we add that difference. So when we're looking at the at the goals scored, you know, you can you can actually see players in there that are going to boost that and bolster that, and you know, like 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 Gabriel Jesus. Take his take his eight goals from Manchester City, um, you know, put him into a team where he is starting up front every week and not on the wing, and that probably doubles at least. And then you've got another 16 goals, hopefully, per season. And that makes a huge difference. That pushes us over the line for the top four. So this this is what it's all about. It's adding players of ready-made quality now, um, not players that have the potential like we did last summer, that, that there were risk. It's about players that are ready to go right now step straight into the team and improve us and uh, and get us over the line. And then I think once you've got them one or two quality players, you just add to the squad to make sure we're not in a position like we were this season when we're relying on El Nenny, when we're relying on Nuno Tavares and, and players like that to get us over the line in the top four. Because ultimately, that, that was one of the things that, that cost us. Our replacements for Tierney and Party were not good enough. They weren't up to standards. And I think the club took a risk because they knew that we were only in one competition effectively last last season in the Premier League. But now they, they can't afford to do that. So this summer for me, Harry, is huge. Um, and then if we're talking if we're still talking about a situation next season where we've not got a top four, I think the the question about Mikel Arteta is is very fair because Agreed. he he would have had that that he would have had what three summers then um to 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 build his team. And then if he's not got us there with the players at his disposal, then it's going to, it's going to fall on his shoulders of responsibility, but let's wait until we get there. I completely agree with that, that if we don't get there next season, or if we don't do anything next season, that the questions will be fair. But I just think that what he's done this season in terms of overseeing part of that rebuild, as you say, and then getting us back into Europe and narrowly missing out on the top four with an underpar squad, let's be honest, I think has earned him at least another season. I really do think that. And I think that it's fair that he gets another season to showcase what he can do. Now, if we go six months into or three months into next season and we're languishing at the bottom of the Premier League table, then again, it would be fair to ask those questions. But whether Mikel Arteta, and I've said this recently, is the man to take us to the next level or not, that doesn't mean that every single thing he's done so far has been bad for the club or has been bad for us as supporters. And that's another thing. Like I, I always say this about, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, he got, um, you know, he got absolutely laughed out of Manchester United. And but that doesn't mean that during his time, every single thing he did was bad because it wasn't. He brought a lot of young, exciting players through, gave them opportunities. He managed to get a tune out of players that hadn't been, um, you know, doing anything for years at United. And he ended up finishing second in the Premier League. And when you look at where they are now, that feels crazy, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's not always bad. Like when you get sacked, it's because your recent period was bad. It's not because your entire tenure was bad. Otherwise, you'd have been yeah. sacked prior to that. 
And that's really, really important to remember. Um, I just want to quickly address a couple of questions in the chat box um, before we uh, we dash off. Um, if you want to uh, listen to some more Arsenal and Premier League chat on TalkSport 2 later on, uh, you can catch me with Adi Oladipo from 3 till 5 p.m. UK time, uh, which is why I'm in a bit of a rush to get away uh, from here because I need to get down there. Um, but I want to put this question to you, Mike, from Alex. He mm. says, what do you think of Richarlison if we could get him for 35 to 45 million? Really divisive player. What's your take on him? No. Why? No, <laughs> no, I, I don't. Because I think he's a bit of a walking disaster, to be honest. That's the last thing we want. A, a player with propensity to get to get red cars and yellow cars and lose his temper and who plays on the edge. We need someone who's cool, calm and collected as our, as our number nine. Someone who's got... I'm not saying Richardson doesn't have quality because I, th I think he does, but he shows it in flashes. And for me, he's too he's too emotional for me. I don't want that that kind of player. Yeah, and and it's like with with Richardson, it's like if he had like Diego Costa's quality or Luis Suarez, you can almost accept that they play on the edge. But he he doesn't produce the goods like like they did. So mm. you know you you can't have both sides of it essentially. Alexis says the most successful clubs have sacked their managers frequently. They also have the most money and that, that's no coincidence. And they also have the ability to refresh things over and over and over and over again. So that it goes back to, I'm not going to repeat myself, but it goes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago in that you can do that when you can then refinance a, a rebuild sort of every two, three years in Arsenal situation that that is not possible. Um, because of, of the model under which we operate. And, and that's the reality of it, whether you like it or not. Um, I'm going to take one more um, and then we're going to leave it there. I'm uh, just looking for something that's a little bit different uh, to what we've been discussing. Uh, people sort of asking how long you'd give Mikel Arteta. I think, I think at this point in time today, I guess that's a good point to end on actually. At this point in time, I'm I'm happy for him to be the manager next season, you know, and, and we'll see where we end up. What about yeah. you, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he, even if we don't think that, Harry, they've just given him a new contract. So, yeah, exactly. like ultimately, it's a pointless debate. If people want him out now, tough because he's not going. He's just signed a new deal. Um, you know, he's got us within an inch of, of top four uh, with a, with the youngest team youngest average team in the league so no he's not going and for me yeah he deserves next season and then next summer we see where we are and then we assess yeah mike summed it up perfectly he's not going anywhere at this moment in time so you can either get behind your team support your team be constructive in your criticism because of course you're entitled to criticize but you can get behind your team you can enjoy the ride you can um you know you can work on that connection that i think has has come about again between most fans and um and the team and and everything and the club you can either embrace that jump on on the ship as Mikel Arteta would say and enjoy the ride or you can sit there and whinge and moan but it isn't going to make the slightest bit of difference to what Arsenal Football Club decide to do in the end uh so I know what I'm going to be doing but anyway look we're going to leave it there um Mike thank you so so much as always for your time let people know how they can follow you and keep up to date with the great work that you do yeah, um, Twitter's probably the best place. It's at Mike underscore Stabroo. Now, I've made an Instagram account recently as well, which is just at Mike underscore Stabroo and then underscore at the end. So, yeah, give me a follow. Are you a, are you a TikTok man? 
I've been toying with with making a TikTok um, because I think it's a it's a platform that that you know you can kind of have like no followers, but if it, if your video hits the algorithm, it can suddenly go like crazy and viral. Yeah. So I've I personally think Chronicles should move over to TikTok, and I I will be doing one very soon. I've actually got a TikTok of my own, which I made about a few months ago. I literally made about four or five videos and you're right if you hit the algorithm i mean i think i've got like 13 followers and one of my videos done like thousands of views yeah they can bang can't they quite quickly Mm. so i think i'll probably be putting a little bit more time into that and linking it up with the chronicles somehow um but yeah sounds good look subscribe leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already we're not uh, very high on the like count today Uh, Let's try and get it up to as close to 100 as possible between now and the end of the stream. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.